0: Welcome to Anything Goes, the best geek of pop culture show broadcast from Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rooney, and we're back with our brand new episode. And this week, we're looking at the movie Blue Ruin. Not for any, for anniversary of it. It's only, <laughs> you got to probably say it's the anniversary of a promise that we going to be covering this movie between my guest and I. Because years ago, I think it might have been like after the very first conversation we had online, podcast-wise, we said like, yo, let's do Blue Ruin because we're huge fans of that. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Cut to four years later, and we're finally doing it. Now that guest in mind, um, how would I describe him? I describe him as a person. You know what? Blue Ruin is kind of a first date type of movie. That's how I'm gonna. That's how I'm gonna impress myself on this person, Mister Guy Milks. How you doing, Guy?
1: Oh, I'm 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 doing good, and I, I would definitely show this on a first date. I would have no problem doing that. <laughs>
0: I, I mean, it's better than like I'm trying to think of like within reason movies that could test the limits of a person's personality, like a Lucio Fulci movie, like City of the Dead, or House by the it's, Cemetery. It's it's better than being Travis Bickle and going to a porn theater. So, yeah, that's that's really inappropriate. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't go to movies that often, but I, I kind of thought like this is something that you kind of like some of the stuff, so that's why I brought you here. <laughs>
1: Mm, yeah
0: but yeah but with that kind of 70s grime and gritty style of, of filmmaking that's in tax driver, it's very much like in this movie blue ruins let's jump to our view of it right now <laughs> Now, Guy, what's your history with Blue Ruin? Um, the year that this came out, I had
1: heard rumblings of it, but I didn't, I didn't see it. And then I can't remember what it dropped on. It dropped on, like, Prime. I, th- I think it was Netflix. And um, friend of the show, uh, Jamie Drewley, was like, watch this movie, go in blind. Uh, don't read a synopsis. Just go in, and it's and I, which I've been trying to do more since then. I've been trying to do with movies more because I tend to enjoy the movies more that way now. But I, I did, and wow, <laughs> I think I and I think I probably watched it like uh, three other times that week because this is a it's a this is a very powerful movie.
0: You're not wrong. It's incredibly powerful and. I've been racking my brain trying to figure out my history with this. And like, how did I first become aware of it? And I think I, it must've been Netflix that recommended it to me. Oh yeah. And what got me was the poster. Yeah. That silhouette of Dwight with the rifle hang, uh, on, uh, on Teddy that's in the outside the car. Yeah. And then like when you hold the, like the mouse, uh, over it, I will start playing the trailer and just seeing that. I'm like, Oh, that sounds really cool. And I just watched it on a whim, and like he was completely blown away by it. And it is curious because, because of that, I became a fan of the filmmakers like Jeremy Sone and Macon Blair. Jeremy Sone, who is the writer, director, and cinematographer of this. Who did a previous movie called Murder Party, which I'll get to in a moment, uh, and then we followed with Green Room, which I did see in a theater and was happy to do so. Uh, but that
1: that had to be a rough.
0: I mean, it's a great movie. It's a good movie, but man, that had to be a hell of a theater experience.
1: Good lord!
0: I think there might have been six of us in the theater. My my girlfriend and I at the time included. Um, but that was like a Saturday afternoon, and we just walk out in the daylight and you just kind of like look at the sun, like. You're you're not helping things right now. <laughs> I right. like, I feel better if it was actually dark out, but no, I'm I am i am confronted <laughs> with bright daylight and it's, it's not soothing whatsoever after seeing Green Room. Yeah. Wow. And by Storm and Seat, Hold Up the Dark, which I know Solnay made for Netflix. And he's got a new movie coming out called Rebel Ridge. Uh which I'm I'm curious to see what's gonna turn out to be. And it's a very interesting history how Blue Ruin came about is because uh, Jeremy Sonier and Macon Blair, who is the lead in this movie, who plays Dwight, they've been friends since early childhood. And they would be, they'd made movies uh, together as kids. And like they're from Virginia. And Macon his friends were making movies on their own. And then they ran into another group of young filmmakers, one of them being Jeremy Selinier. And he had this idea of like, oh, we do a lot of action movies and uh, uh, homemade squibs and everything. Sonya had the idea of like tying a bunch of ladyfingers or M80s to yourself and setting them off. And that's the explosion of you being hit by a gunshot.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: Yeah. And so and you can see the footage. Like if you look up the making of either Murder Party or Blue Ruin, you can find they have clips of their early uh, home movies of them making – uh explosions uh, off their clothes. Wow. What? Guy, you never you never attached a bunch of lady figures across your chest to pretend they were squibs?
1: No. No 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 no. No.
0: What no. could go wrong?
1: <laughs> I can think of several.
0: <laughs> Especially the older I get. <laughs> Luckily nobody was seriously hurt that we know of anyway right <laughs> and in the early 2000s they were trying to get a movie made and like pitching it to uh, several studios and producers and it wasn't working so they end up financing and making the movie called Murder Party where a kind of a dull dude gets an invite to a party on Halloween but when he shows up he realizes that he's going to be the subject of a murder by a bunch of Insufferable art students.
1: <laughs> Insufferable.
0: <laughs> I, I mean, it is it, uh, it is hilarious because of how inept all those uh, goobers are trying to kill this dude. But it, it's kind of like to see, like, all right, this is what their intention is, but ha- what kind of uh, obstacles are going to get in the way? Like, oh, the cord can't reach or somebody accidentally sets themselves on fire. Or they, they bring a Russian dude who is actually a drug dealer who has a real gun. So on and so forth.
1: It, 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 I remember when I first saw it, it it felt like a, like a rip on Hitchcock's rope. Like this is what would actually happen if someone actually tried to (laughs) try to commit a murder and get away with it. You know what I mean? That's what it, that's what it seemed like to me.
0: You're not wrong. that's a pretty apt comparison. Um, but they made it and they brought it to film festivals and it was successful, but it didn't go anywhere. So Selnye, Macon and everybody else would went back to their day jobs after finishing their movie and murder party came out in 2007 by 2010, 2011, they were all starting to feel a little restless because they started families and they're wondering like their time to make another movie was getting smaller and smaller. And so they had this idea for Blue Ruin and the, the concept of it is, what if the revenge movie truly begins after the revenge has been completed? What happens afterwards? Mm. And they tried to they, they, they broke down the budget what they were going to have they, what they would need and they had like a million dollar budget that's what they needed to like in order to produce this movie and they knew they were not going to be able to get that. So what did they do? They decide to... Jeremy and his wife, like, they f- take, they took all their net worth, they put up their... Like, they mortgaged their home. And everybody started chipping in, and then eventually they did a Kickstarter campaign and and raised a little over $400,000 to make the movie. And they're just like, all right, this is kind of a Hail Mary thing that we have to do. And once they had shot the movie over the course of 30 days which was a insistence on jeremy because he had been working as a cinematographer in the meantime between murder party and blue ruin and he saw so many projects of like directors having to work 3 6 day weeks 18 days and it was just too compressed and they're like no you can't get much done you're just like you're you're fighting the clock too much there so jeremy's like no insisting on 30 days and we're going to do it. We're going to do this properly. And they were able to do so and were able to pull off getting some, actually some pretty reputable uh, actors in here, um, which was kind of a hard thing for some of the cast members because like, Oh, the guy who's directing is also the writer and the cinematographer and his best friend is the lead. If you're a serious actor, you'd be wondering, uh, right. This is a project you want to be a part of.
1: Right. Yeah, but Macon gives a powerhouse performance. He's amazing in this movie. (laughs) It
0: it really is a star-making performance. And they they bring in uh, big actors like uh, Devin uh, Ratray, who, up until this week, I did not know that's Buzz from Home Alone. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Because when I rewatched it for the purposes of this episode, my girlfriend pointed out, I was like, is that Buzz? And I'm like, that's not Buzz. What are you talking about? It's Buzz. <laughs> and I was like, holy shit, I can't it's, believe that. He still just looks like Buzz. He does. <laughs> um... And then Amy Hargraves, who plays Sam, uh Dwight's sister in this, who may have my favorite acting performance in the movie when when her and Macon are in the diner and mm-hmm. like the like how everything comes out and everything. Yeah. But um and so they shot the movie and in the middle of editing it and they submit it to Sundance as a as a work in progress and it was around two hours for the assembly cut they're rejected wow and so and at the same time jeremy's father is on his deathbed and one of the things he asks is like how's the movie going and like his He said that to his wife, Jeremy's mother, who texted Jeremy wondering, how's the movie going? And Jeremy lied, says, oh, it's going well. It's going to lead to my fame and fortune because he wanted his dad to go off on a good memory. right? And so to follow up on that promise, on a whim, they submit to the Cannes Film Festival. Not thinking they're going to get in. There's no way in the world because the Cannes is a prestigious Film Festival, you don't see, like, kind of pulpy movies play there that often. Well, they did get in. And they're like, oh, my God, we got to the Cannes Film Festival. Oh, my God, we got to the Cannes Film Festival because (laughs) we scheduled 12 weeks of post-production. Now we have three and a half. Like, oh, shit, now we got to finish editing the picture, sound editing, sound, and... ADR and then all the visual effects, and like, fuck, we got to get all this thing stuff in. But they were able to play to a huge audience that was very receptive. An hour after the movie ended, they had sold the picture. Nice. And then go on to fame and fortune afterwards. I mean, I look forward to whenever making Blair's in something. I mean, hell, in my eyes, it's kind of hard to. Not look at the character, the Phantom Stranger in DC Comics, without thinking of making Blair now. And he, even though he's like two episodes of that Swamp Thing TV show, I'm like making Blair. He's the Phantom Stranger in my eyes. He he shows up in in the hunt for
1: a three minute role, and he and he does what he does. The guy is the guy is a very talented man, and I and I I I, 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 I applaud uh, the. The diversity he takes too, because you think he would stay in indie, darling, because that's what he was. I mean, he started out as an indie, and he died, but he doesn't. He he does the hunt. He does, you know, uh, swamp thing. He does the Phantom Stranger. I mean, come on, it's great. The guy's great, great I mean, actor.
0: He, he was partners with uh, Hilary Swank and <clears throat> Logan Lucky as one of the FBI agents investigating the robbery, nice. uh, and he's now writing directing the Toxic Avenger.
1: I think they finished it. Uh, I think they're huh. in post production. I think they're. I, I. I think I saw something from Peter Dinklage that said something about them being in post.
0: Uh, according to their Wikipedia, principal production commenced on June twenty first, twenty twenty one, in Bulgaria, and wrapped August fourteenth, twenty twenty one. Yeah, so they're in post. Yeah. I'm curious to see what was going to be like. Yeah, Peter Dinklage. <laughs> Huh. He's he's Toxy, isn't he? Isn't he playing Toxy? Yeah, Dinklage is is Toxy.
1: I'm really curious how this is going to go.
0: I'm looking at the cast. Okay, Peter Dinklage, Jacob Tremblay, who I think uh, I'm trying to say, what the hell is this kid? Oh, he's uh young Hugh McGregor in Doctor Sleep. Uh, or he plays the the. The kid version of danny torrance in dr sleep no no he's, he's 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 the kid he's a baseball boy oh right he is the baseball boy oh you're right you're right you're right the kid's
1: an amazing actor he was in uh before i before i sleep or yeah as i fall asleep we, yeah the the, the um yeah great kid amazing actor oh i i didn't know he was in that oh cool uh, uh...
0: Part of me wants to think like he's the kid on the road that the that the douchebags hit in this version of Toxic Avenger. <laughs> Just to continue that trend of being mercilessly murdered, murdered. in movies. <laughs> uh, Kevin Bacon, Elijah Wood. Wow. Elijah Wood doesn't surprise me because he he loves horror. Yes, he has his own and, horror company.
1: Yeah, yeah. He loves horror and he loves all that off-the-wall stuff. So that doesn't surprise me. Um, Bacon does surprise me Because I mean Bacon is a well-rounded And very underrated actor In my opinion Yeah
0: Everybody knows Kevin Bacon Never
1: I don't think anybody Ever gives him the credit He's due though
0: No um, And he was somebody Who was kind of Ashamed of his His genre Forays Up until recently Yeah yeah he, He's come
1: around on him. Um, because uh, he remember he did that, he was trying to get a tremor Siri on sci fi that he was going to star in.
0: Yeah, so, he, did, he did like a 90 minute pilot, if I remember correctly.
1: Yeah, so, so yeah, yeah, he, he's come around to it. He's, he's he realized he's one of those guys that start like, you know what, I, I should be I'm happy with where I came from because I mean, it, where you came from is what got you here, buddy.
0: <laughs> right. I, I like, I know he was. He was incredibly depressed when he was making the original Tremors, because he thought his career was in the shits. Because he's like, "I'm making a movie about giant underground worms."
1: Yeah, yeah, and then it tanked, and it made him feel even worse. <laughs> yeah.
0: But it made a it made a pretty penny on home video, surprisingly oh enough, and it goodness. spawned an entire series. Yes. Uh, but Blue Rune, the movie itself opens on Dwight Aarons, who is a vagrant who lives in his car in Delaware and he spends his time by breaking into people's houses using their facilities and getting out before he's caught and just living off the land and what happens is that he is picked up by a police woman who informs him that the man who had murdered his parents is getting out of prison.
1: yeah well because this movie this the way this movie starts out you're like what in the hell because you have no clue what's going on and and you think this movie is going to be about uh post-traumatic stress and mental health i mean and it is about that but you think that's what it's going to be the the main story you don't realize where it's going to go um because Macon's given this really good subtle performance in the beginning you know and and then you then you oh by the way the Guy that kills your parents is getting out like oh okay and so um it's 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 yeah
0: this movie unfolds very well. Yes, it does, and it treats its audience with respect and because does a spoon feed anything to you? No, no, it's one of those it shows
1: doesn't tell and If you miss something, it's not going to go back and tell you, you know, because everything's there. Everything's laid out for you. So you just, yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, if it it unfolds very well.
0: It really does. And it's something that I realized, I think of me, like on the second and third time I watched this, it's Jeremy Sonday's version of blood simple. Yeah, I could see that.
1: Yeah, I could see that.
0: It's a modern day film noir in a rural setting. It's a neo-noir. Yeah. Yeah. That, like Blood Simple, pulls no punches when it comes to the violence.
1: No, 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 no. Oh, this one one is a
0: little more brutal.
1: (laughs) And that's saying a lot, because if anybody's seen Blood Simple.
0: (laughs) And and as I speak about this, I'm like, I'm going to watch Blood Simple tonight, aren't I? And I'm like, yes, you are. It's
1: it's my favorite Cohen's movie. I love that. That is that is that is a debut of all debuts. I love that movie.
0: (laughs) You can cut off my head any time. I can always crawl around without it. (laughs) And Emmett Walsh is Emmett Walsh is just like one of the slimiest bad guys you ever seen in a movie.
1: Really, 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 really. I mean, that whole cast. Dan Hedaya just plays the jilted lovers so well, and Frances McDormand is hot as hell in it. You're you're like, yeah, I see why these guys are falling over her. So she does a good job. I she's more than just her looks. She does. She's she's always been an incredible actress. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a great movie.
0: It's. It's surprising how often I think of the line delivery that she gets. Uh, we'll get back to Blue Ruin in a moment, folks. Don't worry. Uh, in Blood Sybil, when Francis McDormand says, like, I haven't been doing anything funny, Ray. And Ray's <laughs> reaction to the ominous line that Danidae said to him. Like, oh, God, that's creepy.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, and it's something with Blue Ruin that I find really fascinating this movie is obsessed with minutia. And yes. What, and what I mean by that is that the details you'd have to do in order to complete something, something that like in most movies, you just like, Oh, he needs a gun. He, you see a pawn shop, you see his reaction. And all of a sudden he's got a gun, but no, it, it goes into great detail how things work. How does a vagrant get his car from Delaware to Virginia? And, how would he be able to live off that and tr- and then how would he tried to get a gun or a weapon and and it's never like it, it, it's never like I guess to the point that it stops the plot you're wondering you're looking at your watch like all right come on just get there already
1: no no it, it I, I mean you get you get a whole scene of him replacing the battery in his car you know and and you never once question it because it's it's actually pertinent information that in a in a in a in a bigger more blockbuster movie, they would have skipped over all that stuff, and after you walked around, you're like, "Wait a second! How did he get his car? To, well, how did that happen? Because it wasn't you know." So it's 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 no, you're right. It really is about the details all the way. I mean, all the way through, even even the the everything. Yeah, it's it's very much about the details, the little things.
0: Um, and I love the fact that the car itself was Jeremy's parents' car. Yes. Uh, the house that we see uh, we see a lot of that Sam lives in. That's actually Jeremy's parents' house. It's very. Yep. It is, the textbook indie, uh, filmmaking uh, style where like you make a checklist or a list of what you have available to you and how can you use that in your story. Yep. Find what you have and make a movie about it, and so. Wade on his way to Virginia stops at a bar. And smashes in uh, an SUV's uh, window in order to grab a gun. However, it's got a trigger safety on it. Yeah. And his efforts to try to get the, the trigger safety off is hilarious.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's one of the few comical scenes in the movie. Because, again, this is a heavy movie. And these guys can do comedy. Because if you've seen Murder Party, it, it is it is it is a farce um it is a slapstick farce and they can't do and and so they infuse a little very few of it but it's in there and this is uh this is one of them you're just like uh yeah it it is it's quite funny
0: because i feel like if you didn't have any comedy it'd be like bleak it'd it'd be yeah you're right it'd be bleak and it'd just be (laughs) oppressive to watch like you wouldn't like it'd be like more like green room way afterwards like all right. I don't need to watch this for like another three years. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. This movie would be bleak. And because it's. Yeah. <laughs> if you've seen the movie, you know how it ends. It's a bleak movie.
0: Oh, Jesus. And. I think one of my favorite moments, of the entire movie is when Wade makes his way to the prison. And sees. Uh, Wade He sees, uh, yeah, Wade Cleveland Jr., Uh Lee, played by, and the character played by Sandy Barnett, who was a friend of theirs since childhood, was also in uh Murder Party. And Megan's reaction to seeing him getting out and how he, like, has a little freak out in his car is... Yeah. Like, I can't help but feel physically, like, reacting the same way he is.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's uncomfortable to watch because you're getting this moment of just pure emotion and it, it, and it gets a little uncomfortable to watch too.
0: Oh, incredibly. And so he follows, uh, Wade's family to a bar and Dwight locks up his car with his car key that he keeps around his neck on a necklace, goes in and waits for him in the bathroom. And when he has the opportunity, he does hesitate, but eventually does attack. But it's not; it's more realistic. It's not just like one stab and he falls over. No, it is a struggle because it's a human being that now just been punctured.
1: Yes, who wants to live?
0: <laughs> um, yeah, it's
1: it's it's a uh, yeah, it's it, it it it's it's very realistic about how something like that would go down because yeah, it's. Eh, hard to watch again <laughs> cuz you see one guy struggling to live and one guy working through his emotions doing his best to take him out it's it's wow
0: and it's one thing that this this low budget movie does not skimp on the blood
1: oh my God. Goodness. No. No, no. It's like Verhoven directed this movie. Seriously.
0: <laughs> oh, squibs for
1: days.
0: <laughs>
1: oh my goodness. There is so much blood. Uh
0: Jason, Freddie, and Michael ain't got nothing on this movie. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, the the stab to like the back of the head. Right. And the and the yanking of the blade out and then the little sh- stream of blood that comes shooting out of the back of the dude's skull you're like oh god (sighs) and so dwight leaves in a daze and while he's going back to his car he passes wade's family's limousine and as a one more fuck you he decides to puncture the tire of the car (laughs) slicing his hand open oh jesus which that's what happens when you hit a car tire like
1: that. That yeah. is exactly what happens
0: because it's like how much pressure is in there. Of course, it's like it's gonna like you surprised the the blade didn't bend as a result, right? Um, but when he gets back into his car, now bleeding, he realizes he lost his key and it's in the bathroom. Yep, and this is a great example of, but therefore accept storytelling. It's not and then, like, and then this happens, like, no, a character does something. However, this is how the plot, uh, has retribution against them.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: So what does he do? He abandons his car, gets in the limousine and drives off. Cause it has his keys in it. Uh, but Wade's family, uh, chases like, sees him leave. Uh, But before Dwight can get any real distance from the way from the bar, there's somebody in the back of the limousine. Like a a kid.
1: A legit kid. A teenager.
0: Yeah. A a real teenager who Dwight lets out. And the kid asks him, like, hey, did you kill Wade? Yeah, he killed my parents. And the kid's like, I don't think so. Uh, The character, William, and just runs away. And you're like, wait, if he doesn't think Wade killed his parents, like, maybe Wade didn't do it. Yeah. Did you think that, or do you think that's just his family trying to defend Wade?
1: I, I figured that was his family. It wasn't until later on that I started thinking about it. Because at this point, I'm just like, that's what... Um certain families would say like, yeah, you're you're your 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 uncle's innocent. he didn't really do it. Even if he really did, they would they would say that, you know.
0: Yeah. And so Dwight tries to patch himself up by breaking into a uh, another home and in order to make himself look uh, less like a homeless person And trying to conceal himself in plain sight, he decides to get rid of the beard. And he, he, because the start of the movie, he looks like Ron Williams at the beginning of Jumanji. Yes, yes, (laughs) very much so. Like you have to expect him to ask, like, "What year is it?" Right. (laughs) Oh man! And now that he's he's. He's robbed his house and everything, but he does a smart thing. He cleans up his own hair, he doesn't leave it behind, he throws it out like I said, more minutiae of like how to protect himself. Yes, and then he goes to see his sister Sam for the first time in several years. Um, because they haven't even
1: talked, haven't even talked.
0: no, she has no idea where he's been. Um, and in the meantime, meanwhile, that's happening. Dwight also was checking the local news and there's no reports of the murder. Hmm. I wonder why that is. And that's when Dwight reveals that he killed Wade.
1: And she's like, you're joking? I mean, that, that whole scene is just, uh... <laughs> wow.
0: And, and it's like, Because, like, the most, like, basic convert basic scene you have in movies, two people facing each other, talking to each other. And there's ways to make it look, like, kind of interesting or make it seem more dynamic and, and what have you. But there are times you just have to get out of the way of the actors and let them act and just put the camera in the right place. And that's yes. what happens here. It's just, like, it's a pair of over-the-shoulder shots and a pair of close-ups, and that's it for the most part. Yep. But one of my favorite moments is when another person at a table is like, hey, can you just patch the ketchup, please? And then in the middle of this kind of like gut-wrenching conversation, like, what? Oh, yeah, here you go. Yeah. Like I said, more injection of comedy that's, that's natural and it does not pull you out of the story. Not at all. But that's when Dwight realizes, hey, they may know where... You live because the, the car still registered to Sam.
1: Yeah, because the sister says, remember the car still registered in my name. And that's when he's like, Oh. Wait a second. <laughs> Where's your kids?
0: Which is terrifying. Just like the his question that you're like, oh no.
1: Yeah. You're like, what? <laughs>
0: yeah. Therefore, they race back to Sam's home where the kids are fine with the babysitter, but Sam accidentally scares the kids checking on, on them checking on them, resulting in Dwight getting slapped around a little. Just a little bit. <laughs> I think mildly deserved it. I, I,
1: yes, 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 yes.
0: Let's let's let's
1: let's be honest. As much as you may side with Dwight, he's not working with the full deck and he's not doing the right thing
0: at all. No, but I also think it's one of the reasons why this movie is so compelling because he's not Rambo in the woods taking on the entire state police. Right,
1: right, right. Right.
0: He's a regular guy who's crafty and clever, but he's still a normal dude who doesn't have training for this kind of situation.
1: Right, right.
0: But he convinces Santa to take her kids and go to their family family, uh, relatives in Pittsburgh. And he decides to stay in the house and watch over and make sure everything's okay. But if you thought one home alone connection was one thing, we're going to have another where Dwight has to defend his sister's home from oncoming invaders. Yep. But how do you feel about this set piece of him evading uh, Wade's family and the violence that ensues?
1: It's uh, the cat and mouse. It's quite terrifying, quite tense. Um, and the violence. I, I, these people were obviously very capable of violence. the The family that that uh that come after him, they're they're not good people. <laughs> and and uh, him, 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 Dwight holds his own,
0: <laughs> barely,
1: but he holds his own.
0: Yeah, I mean, even to the point that he, like, like what sets him off is that he sees his old car outside waiting. Yes. Uh, never has a uh, pos of a car look more intimidating. Right. <laughs> Hooty,
1: sitting at the end of the at the end of the oh. at the end of the lot.
0: <laughs> like, like, he's like might as well have been driving a gremlin around. Like that's how like shitty the car yeah. should have been.
1: Right. Right.
0: Um, but Dwight, he steals a pair of uh, spare keys. Um, he lures one of them upstairs by leaving the faucet on, which is very smart. Um, he ends up getting his car, but running over one of the attackers and dragging him and throwing him in the trunk. However, when he tries to escape, he does take a crossbow to the leg. Yes. And first off, ow. Right. Um, <laughs> Um, And two, it's kind of unique because it's like that these criminals are pretty smart. They don't want to raise suspicion by blasting off uh, a 12-gauge in the middle of a suburban neighborhood. Like, no, they're smart and they'll use a crossbow.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: But Dwight just tries to do the right thing after escaping is to try and remove the crossbow bolt himself.
1: (laughs) Again, not working with a full deck. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and the scene when he's in the back seat of his car and he's trying to remove it and like the the, the the blood that's gushing out is like and his screaming as he's trying to remove it himself like oh my god yeah
1: yeah it's crazy even even if you've seen it a hard time you're like ah, ah, ah.
0: <laughs> i mean I, I mean it's not like i think when i think of it i think of like uh death proof after kurt russell's been shot and he decides to pour oh. a liquor in his bullet wound yeah but also props for kurt Russell committing to make himself look like a a real wuss by the time that movie ends right <laughs> uh but uh, another another unintentionally funny moment is when dwight uh Walks into the hospital like, I've been in an accident and then passes out right there in the lobby of the hospital. <laughs> yeah. And it was so funny when he wakes up in the hosp- his hospital bed and he's checking himself. My girlfriend says like, oh, my God, please tell me he still has both legs. <laughs> <And> <laughs> because that's, that's, a, that's something to be concerned about is to wake up, you're missing a limb. Right. Right another reason why uh, hospitals freak me out. Just like ah, I'm gonna lose something next time I go in there. <laughs> um, hmm. but you no, know, Dwight does have his uh, both legs, but a real shitty stitch job on his leg. It, lo- it looks not the it best. Looks,
1: yeah, it looks bad.
0: Like one of the RNs, one of the people like learning who are on rounds. Like ah, no, you yeah you stitch him up. You got this.
1: Yeah, he went to the free clinic. <laughs>
0: and he dine and dashes uh, the hospital by grabbing his shit and leaving yeah oh Jesus but now Teddy uh, in the trunk of the car wants to get the hell out of there and he's screaming his head off oh man which is also unintentionally hilarious to see somebody just like trapped in trunk screaming right or maybe I'm just a sicko one or the other
1: no it's funny <laughs>
0: Uh, and that's when Dwight eventually tracks down an old friend of his, uh, uh, Ben played by, like we said, uh, Devin Rat, uh, Rat Ray, who obviously played Buzz in Home Alone. Um, and even a little exchange where he's trying to find him at this this metal club or punk club, like, and Dwight's talking to this one woman, like, is he part of the band? What? Is he part of the band? No, he just works here. Are you in the band? No. <laughs> uh, but how do you feel about this? Like, kind of like awkward interaction that they have, where like Dwight needs his help, but can't really can't or won't tell him what's going on. I I, I like
1: it because it's also it's also you know friends who they were obviously for, they 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 set it up as you go on that they were really close friends for the longest time. You could tell. Um and 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 they set it up more as 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 the as the scenes between them play out um so it's these friends that haven't seen each other for a long time also getting back together and they're trying to feel each other out to see where they stand like are you mad at me because i dropped off the face of the earth and the other one the other guy's like thinking you know i mean i'm 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 projecting here he's thinking how crazy is he at this point because i haven't seen him in seven years you know so um So it's a, I I think it's done very well. I think it's, I think it's a good scene because it's, it's, it's just, it's how people who would react who had something happen like this and they split up for several years and then they came back together.
0: Right. It's like an all, because you're you're trying to find your rhythm again with that person.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: And, and, a lot of times people change and that rhythm is no longer there. And you just kind of have to ad- adjust to yep. what that person is now. And especially if it's in a very tense situation like this.
1: Right. Right.
0: Um, and that's when like, all right, he asked Ben for a gun and he ends up giving him like a carbine. That's off the a team because Ben was a, Soldier and served, and has a cache of weapons on his uh, property.
1: He's he, he seems a, he's a, he seems a little doom prepper. A little, a little, not not extreme, just a little, just 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 enough over the line. That's all. Um, but he knows his stuff. He's not one of those crazy guys. Those, those crazy ones that he just he, he seems to know his stuff. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, he's asking me that Sandy Hook was uh, done by the government to take away our guns, kind of person.
1: No, 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 he's not that guy.
0: <sighs> um, so Dwight, now armed, decides to talk to Teddy and give him some water. Um, and Teddy makes me laugh. I think yeah. Teddy's hilarious.
1: Teddy, Teddy, because Teddy's all about saving his own ass. Yes. and and um. And, and I and, and I I don't think I, I they obviously put it in their for humor, but I don't think Teddy thinks he's being funny. I think Teddy's trying <laughs> he's trying to come up as a as a badass or a good guy. So yeah, it's 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 it, it is funny. I, I will I will agree with you on that. <laughs> Even though it's tense at the same time. Cause the whole time you got the, the back and forth between them where like, what's exactly gonna happen. It's 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 a it's a nice it's a nice scene.
0: Right, and the humor that comes out of it is built in within the scene. It's not like he's stopping to make a pop culture reference or... Right,
1: right, exactly.
0: It's nothing out of context or what have you. It's all within... It's prudence of what the scene is about, and it's like the relationship between Dwight's family and Teddy's family. Yes. And where we find out that... Wade didn't kill Dwight's parents. Right. Wade's father did. Yes. Because Dwight's father was messing with Wade's mother.
1: Yep. Yep. And Wade took the fall because dad wasn't going to make it through prison. Dad was going to die in prison.
0: Because he was dying of cancer. And Teddy had two strikes on that. And if if he went down again, he'd be going away for life. Yeah. So Wade took the blame, and mm. the real person who did this died by himself, smoking to the day he died. Yes, and I guess that's like—I don't know if it's like a comment on like the futility of revenge, where like nobody really wins in it, and like, and it like he didn't kill. Would you consider Wade an innocent man? Or not.
1: I I listen, I've seen the movie enough time. None of the none of none of Wade's family are good people.
0: <laughs> other than maybe William. Yes, other than maybe
1: William. But all the rest of them, they're not good people. I mean, seriously. And honestly, I uh, why would you take the fall for somebody that killed that slaughtered two other people? and how does that make you a good guy? cuz i don't i don't necessarily think that makes you a good guy. Maybe if you were taking the fall for somebody that didn't do it, maybe that makes you a good guy. But taking the fall for somebody i i, I don't i i i don't and again and again the whole family that whole family is just uh they're not good people.
0: <laughs> no, they're not. But that's when and Teddy says like oh My father was just trying to kill your father. Your mother just happened to be there. Yeah. So, like, it was not the intention, but she was an accident. Like, I don't know if that makes you feel any better, but it wasn't his intention. Um, but that's when Dwight's, he's going to give Teddy a cell phone and say, call your sister and, and call this off. We're even now. Two and two. Yeah. But, um. No, two and one because only Wade's dead. But yeah. when Dwight gets too close, Teddy's able to turn the tables on him and get the gun away from him. Yes. And it's like it seems like Dwight's gonna die right here and then. And then Teddy points the gun at him, and you just hear the you hear the whistle of, and then you hear the crack. Yeah, the boom afterwards. You're like, wait, what the hell is that? Then a second one, and Teddy's face explodes to the side.
1: <laughs> yes,
0: and it was his buddy watching him from a distance, and he sniped mm-hmm.
1: him. Yep, I had I had to wait till he got became the aggressor. I got I covering his he he knows his he knows his laws. Like I said, a little bit doom a doom prepper but he knows, he knows, he knows how to handle it.
0: Oh, man. And, and, but even he like berates Dwight, like you were, you were like five yards away from him and you still missed. Right. (laughs) It gives him a different gun. (laughs) Uh, And that's when they're asking like, what are we going to do about him? Like, oh, what about the rest of his face? Coyotes will eat it. Yep. And you might want to, Cleaning that blood off of you. He, he probably had hepatitis. <laughs> yeah, he probably
1: had hepatitis. That line always gets a laugh out of me.
0: <laughs> and so Ben arms him with a like a small shotgun or... Gives, a, him, re-
1: get, gives him a little bit of lessons.
0: Mm-hmm. And gives him some rounds. And then when Dwight's leaving, Dwight brings up like, hey, remember that one time we went to that stripper, we went to that ship's joint, and we got that Polaroid uh, taken of us. Yeah, if I find that again, uh, what, I'm going to try and look for it. Like, yeah, if you ever find it, destroy it. Yeah. And uh, like that's just a, a odd thing to say because I think I guess he knew he was going to die. Yeah,
1: and he in trying to get all connections to his buddy probably cut. You know, I don't know. And, and I don't know, it's, it, it is an odd thing, but it's also kind of a telling thing about where his mind's at. Just listen, forget about me. It's, it's only going to bring you pain type stuff.
0: Yeah. And so Dwight is on his way to Wade's family's like property. And he decides to stop and has his, uh, his last supper complete with red, red wine.
1: The complete.
0: Yep. So yeah, we're full of Jesus symbolism right there for you. Um, this is my <laughs> blood. Um, who he immediately throws up on the way to the property too. Like he even, like he, it doesn't sit well with him.
1: Oh, he's nervous as hell. He's completely nervous. Cause he doesn't, he he has an idea what he's walking into, but he doesn't completely know what he's walking into.
0: Right. And so, and Dwight makes it to the Cleveland family's uh, property. And nobody's there. The place is deserted.
1: He pees on the dad's grave.
0: <laughs> For good measure. And then yeah. collects the stockade's worth of weapons strewn around the house and throws them L- away.
1: Literally an arsenal.
0: Literally an arsenal. See, that is a doomsday prepping family. Yes. Um, and he waits and waits. And waits which I imagine like I guess like it's just showing the reality of what a revenge would be like it wouldn't be as hyperkinetic or uh, stylish as like kill Bill causes no. of that
1: No no it, it, this is not you know revenge like kill Bill or, or or John Wick or anything like no this is this is this is probably what it would actually be like because it's a lot of waiting there's a lot of downtime. Although, you never feel the downtime when you're watching the movie.
0: No, because the movie's like 90 minutes and it flies by. It's never, yes. It never drags.
1: No, no, never.
0: And Dwight leaves a message on their own answering machine just trying to lure him back to the house. And they end up coming back. And they so they are around the answering machine, listening to his message that he had left for them. And that's when he he's able to train his gun on them from a distance inside the same room. And wondering like maybe they'll take him up on this offer and he can leave and there won't be any problems going any, going further past this day.
1: That's when that bitch says your sister's next.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then he's like, we're going to Pittsburgh and that's when he kills the, la- the second to the last uh, male uh, in his family and confronts the sisters and, says, like, I didn't want this to happen, but he does the exact thing that Ben told him not to do. Yeah. Because Ben said, no big speeches. Yeah. Just pull the trigger.
1: Yep. And that's when the OK Corral coach comes on.
0: <laughs> in the words of the Incredibles, oh, my God, you caught me monologuing. <laughs> because William comes in. Shoots Dwight in the side, and then and with a double-barrel shotgun, and the last, the second barrel gets shot up into the ceiling. And Dwight says, "You know what? You can get out of here. My beef's not with you." Yeah,
1: because you're my half brother.
0: <laughs> Which I don't know how he came to that conclusion. It's kind of laid out there.
1: That because of the age of him and stuff like it's kind of laid out there,
0: right? And he's the the only odd duck out of that family.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And William leaves, and uh, one last joke is that like Dwight says, like, yeah, it doesn't feel as bad as being shot with the crossbow, right? 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 Yeah.
1: He gives because he, he gives he gives William his keys. that says, "Car's on the road. Go get out of here." basically make something of yourself. And then, yeah, then he was like, yeah, it doesn't feel as bad getting shot with a crossbow, which I don't know about that. (laughs) I Uh, I don't want to find out either way.
0: (laughs) No, like you're bleeding from buckshot versus uh, a crossbow bolt to the leg. Yeah. But that's when, when the sisters like charges at him at the other goes for tech nine that he didn't know about was hidden underneath one of the, uh, the recliners in the, and this this little den here. Yeah. But the sister accidentally gets shot by the woman with the tech nine. Which I imagine that's probably would happen more often than not.
1: More often than not. Yes. Yes. Yes.
0: There's, there's a lot of friendly fire in real life. (laughs) Oh my goodness. And we just cut to the outside. We just hear both weapons being discharged and William walk away into the darkness. Yeah. And one of the last images we see is we cut back into the den and everybody is dead or dying. And we see Dwight saying the keys are in the car. The keys are in the car as he slowly loses brain function. Yeah. And the movie ends as quickly as the movie began. Yep. And it's really well what are your final thoughts? What, like, your thoughts on the ending and the movie overall? I I I like the ending.
1: Um, it because I think because it starts so quickly, it should end so quickly. It, 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 it's not a movie that needs to be drawn out. It's a, it's a, it's a, I hate to say a simple premise, but it really is. Um, although it has a lot to say with uh, people slipping through the cracks. Cause I mean, this, this, uh, Dwight is obviously suffering from post-traumatic stress and he's obviously has some mental issues I mean because for you to want to have revenge on somebody kill somebody for killing somebody is one thing to actually do it is a completely another thing so you so this is this is a guy and he's lived off the grid since his parents since at least the the trial you know so he fell through the cracks because this is a guy that Needs help, um, so that, that, that's something the movie um, doesn't address, but it does address. If you know what I mean,
0: right? It hints at that kind of idea. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, and and I and and I think that's one of the, the parts that make this movie um, work for me is because they hint at that, and then they and then they address the 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 mental health issues of it too they do do that like I he, he know hey, Dwight knows he's he's not right in the head you can tell by the way he talks to his sister by the way that he knows and it's just I don't know it's 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 hard to explain how this conveys all that stuff without seeing the movie
0: right because I feel like he was never the same after his parents murder no from what we can gather here, and that's what, like you said, led him becoming, being a vagrant, being a homeless person. He just like, walked away from society, more or less.
1: Walked away from life, period.
0: Yeah. Where he's bathing, for the most part, in the ocean, in Delaware. Yeah. And, even to the point that, something we didn't bring up before, but, the place that he was, holed up in, That's where his family used to vacation.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And that his sister still vacationed. And that he saw his sister with her kids years ago and said nothing. Yeah. I think that speaks volumes more than anything like a flashback could show. Oh, oh, I agree. Yeah, I guess like my final thoughts on it's, it's a sobering look. At what revenge would really be like? Yes, because it's not as glamorous. It's not like death proof. No, no, I mean like um death wish, right? Which is a power fantasy, but Bronson gets away with it, right? And it obviously spurned a sequel that that that's that's body count continues to grow with each subsequent sequel, <laughs> right? I uh, third I think he takes an entire neighborhood with a 30 caliber uh machine gun. Yes, he does. <laughs> and there was like rock hard erections from our friend Jeff Connell whenever he watches those movies. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. <laughs> Rightfully so.
1: Rightfully so. I mean yes. it's Death <laughs> Wish <Week> 3.
0: <laughs> oh my god. But like I remember I, I saw uh Death Wish on the big screen with Double Bill uh with Dirty Harry. Mm. And it was like law in your own hands theme for the night and i remember because death wish played first then dirty harry and my friend at the time and i were mostly there for dirty harry because we're big fans of that franchise and like all right we'll see death wish cool whatever uh, <laughs> A hey baby face jeff goblum as one of the violators of charles bronson's family which is always uh like, I just can't believe he's in that it, it, role.
1: It, 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 it's shocking, which he's played villains before. But yeah, it's, it's still shocking.
0: But the crowd we saw with her, like, cheering at all the parts of, like, Bronson shooting all the the people on, like, the subway and everything. And my friend and I look at each other like, uh, I don't think that's supposed to be cheering kind of moment. Not in the first <laughs> right, one. I right. get it with the sequels, but it gets a little more campy. But not here. Yeah. Uh, So that was uncomfortable, but I think blue ruin is very much like, I think, I think another movie that I think would pair well with is death sentence, the Kevin Bacon movie, Kevin
1: Bacon, one, which I
0: haven't seen that one. Oh, really?
1: I I saw, I saw the Jodie Foster one, right? They came out, they came out at the same time or around the same time. And the Jodie Foster one, it was all right. Um, but I've heard nothing but good things about Death sentence, which I need to see that one because that's one, isn't it?
0: Yes, it is. It's what he yeah. did after, uh, dead silence.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I need to, I need to see that. I do need to say, but I haven't, that's one I haven't seen
0: because it also illuminates the cost of taking revenge. Yeah. And I think. Kevin Bacon has a has really strong in that movie and nice and it's obviously like oh you see where James Wan became the action director while watching it yeah uh, and yeah so like my final thoughts on Blue Ruin it is a wonderful pulpy ride that has a little more thought and effort put into it and the fact that it was made on a consumer grade like semi professional camera and still lenses and they're able to pull together is something as this well polished and well thought out on a budget i think it's just really encouraging the young filmmakers to yeah use genre think a little bit more deeply about it and whatever resources you have in your hand and try and make something out of it and i guess the, the especially Jeremy jeremy's uh, story is like the first you don't succeed try try again because it's so easy, like, you try something once, it doesn't work out, and you never do it again. I mean, like, bungee jumping is one thing. Like, you, you bungee jump it once, it doesn't go well. Yeah, I can see why not doing that again.
1: I'm not sure um, why you would do it the first time, personally, <laughs> but hey, that's me.
0: I, I'm still planning on jumping out of an airplane soon enough, so with a parachute, yeah, I, not, not, not just jumping out.
1: Nope, nope, nope. I don't see the sense of jumping out of a perfectly good airplane.
0: I think it's for shits and giggles. I'm going to dress like DB Cooper the day I do it, just for just as a laugh on my own part. <laughs> oh, do you really funny. need his briefcase strapped to your chest? Yes.
1: <laughs> did you watch that documentary on HBO? Uh, no, I did not. Oh, it's, it's actually pretty interesting. It's on HBO Max. It's actually pretty interesting. I'm sorry. Side tangent. I know. Um, no, it's, it's actually, fine. I, it's, I brought that up. Yeah, it's it's it. it, it I enjoyed that. Doc- I thought it was a good documentary. I enjoyed it.
0: Nice, nice, nice. I mean, it's on the list. It's in my queue, that's for sure. Uh, but yeah, I think Blue Ruin is one of the best movies in the past ten years. I can say that with full confidence. Yes. And I, if people have not seen it, I may all the way to the end of this review. Uh, spoilers, sorry. Uh, but also, I think you still, re- I still hardly, wholeheartedly recommend checking it out
1: i agree i agree yeah because when this came out it was between this and snowpiercer for my number one i think this one won out over snowpiercer i can't remember but it was between this and Snowpiercer. so it was a good year for movies that year
0: that's really tough i don't know how i'd be able to choose like i'm surprised you didn't choose snowpiercer
1: i i i can't remember i think this one might have just won out i think um but Snowpiercer is just so good. God, I love that one, too. Oh, God, it was a good year for movies.
0: That it was. But, yeah, so that is our review of Blue Ruin. Uh, finally. 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 Because
1: we, we were kind of talking. I think we even mentioned it on the Hitchcock one. You and I were saying, well, we should probably do Blue Ruin. Or not. I So, I mean, it's, it's been a long time. <laughs> and we still got another one in the pipe that we want to do, too. So
0: Yes, and we will get to that very soon.
1: Cause that was going to be fun. Yeah. Not that this wasn't, that was just going to be extra fun.
0: Right. And if I really want to get cheeky, I can start dropping in the music of the songs that we choose. That's part of that episode. Nice. We'll see. But in the meantime, before that we do that podcast, where can people find you on, so- on social media? And what are the podcasts that you do? Uh,
1: Twitter, Instagram, mad underscore Melks. Um, obviously, I do. Please remain with my good friend here. Um, we we are trying to put them out as much as we can. We do it at least a month, at least once a month now. But we're trying to do as as much as we can because life is getting a little complicated for both of us. And then uh, Dark Tower Radio with our good friend Jeremy Lloyd, and I, uh, I uh, me and him started a, a new one called Get to the Podcast, which is just a love letter to the old action movies of 80s and se- late 70s through the entire 80s and and the 90s. I just just we just want to get back to those testosterone filled um action movies. Although we I know we're gonna do a couple of female ones like uh Cynthia Wrathrock ones and stuff like that. So <laughs> who's a badass to this day. Yeah, she yeah so I, I know we're gonna do some female but we don't just those cheesy action movies that were just well, it's, it's a really fun episode. It's a really fun uh, podcast to record. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah, that's where you can find me.
0: Nice. And whenever you guys do Breakdown with Kurt Russell, count me in on that episode. Okay. Oh,
1: Oh, for sure, because that's a great one. God, that's a good one.
0: Yeah, because it's not often you get to see – Where Kerr Russell's not the big swinging dick in a movie. No, he's a nebbish, suburban, like, uh, guy
1: who's forced into
0: that situation. So good. Such a good movie. Really is. Uh, If you want to follow me on social media or or whatever podcast I do, uh, like uh, Guy said, you can find me on Please Rewind, the RF4RM (laughs) Retro Show, part of the Real Fans for Real Movies podcast network. Find me on Twitter and Instagram at this is Tim Rooney. Rooney spelled R O O N E Y. And my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Through the Lens Productions, where all my videos and short films are up. Uh gonna be filming the last part of Where Smiling Sarah, the short film version very soon, within less than two weeks. I was finally able to get the last act needed for that. So that is a load off my mind right there. I'm just like, oh, thank God. And the short film will be coming out shortly thereafter when I finish filming it. And yeah, subscribe to this show so you never miss the episode. I know it's not as frequent as Please Be Wine, but trying to become more frequent and more varied in the topics. Uh, Guy, thank you for taking time out of your night to talk Blue Rune with me.
1: Oh, uh, you know, I, 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 I enjoy talking nerdy shit with you. So it's always fun.
0: Oh, thank you. Come back next time as we continue to talk about geek and pop culture, and we'll be speaking to you soon.